It is impossible to have a relationship with God without trust. By definition, relating to God, the most supreme, intelligent, moral, wise, powerful being in the universe, requires you to be in a position of trusting him. You see, every relationship requires a something. And that requirement is wholly dependent on the subjects of that relationship. And there are obviously different relationships, paternal relationships, spousal relationships, friendship relationships, workplace relationships. Each one of those relationships has a different set of requirements that are required for that relationship to be healthy and to flourish and to be an accurate reflection of what that relationship should be. So with a God-human relationship, the primary requirement is trust. It's submission. It's surrender, yielding, and subjection. And if you don't have trust in God, I'm not sure what you think you have with God, but it's probably not a relationship. See, the quality of your spiritual journey will be a direct reflection of the degree that you trust God in every area of your life. And sometimes, um, if you're anything like me, uh, we tend to approach God kind of like we do with a house guest. You have a friend, family members, relatives that come over to your home. There's certain areas of the home that they can go into. Welcome to go into the living room or the dining room or the kitchen. Then there's certain areas of the home that are off limits. The laundry room, uh, the mud room, uh, the garage, the storage room, the shed out back. Stay out of those rooms. I don't want you to go in there. Sometimes we have a tendency to do the same thing in a relationship with God spiritually. Areas of our lives that we tell God are off limits. Perhaps our sex life, our sexuality, our, our career, maybe certain relationships, and perhaps money. And one of the ways you can know if you have an off-limits area in your life is you typically don't talk about that thing even with others in biblical community. It's an off-limits area. But whether you like it or not, um, God has an all-access pass to your life. Uh, he, he gets to see and gets access to every area. And the quality of your life will be a direct reflection of the degree you trust God in every area of your life. And you may have heard it said um, that the topic Jesus addressed more than any other topic in the scriptures other than the kingdom of God is the topic of money and finances. In fact, over one quarter of all his parables address money and my theory, and I don't, the scripture doesn't give us an explanation of why, uh, but my theory for this is that um, the reason that this is the case is because that money first is a universal reality that is, um, that we all understand, that applies to all of us, and then as well, money is one of the easiest, most obvious things that reveal what's true about our 
hearts. And the reason why Jesus went there is because by going there, he would go in here. He would get to the heart. Today, we land the plane on a short series um, on the topic of money and finances. We called it Let's Talk About Money. Today, we land the plane, and this is the title for today. It's this money management. Money management. And if you listen and learn and implement what I teach you today, I believe it will have transformative power, um, not only for your life, but also for the kingdom of God. And we've said that this topic of finances and money, it's, it's a matter of the heart, yes, it's a matter of the head, and it's a matter of the hands. And today is going to be um, intentionally um, related to our, the hands and the practical nature of the way that we think about our resources and the things that God has given us and being managers, managing the things that God has given us based on what the scriptures teach and what the scriptures outline for each of us. And let me just say this as well before we dive too far in, um, that all of us are at different places financially. All of us are at different places along the economic um, spectrum, and that is a good thing. That is great. I know that some of you feel like you're drowning. Some of you may feel like you're floating, and some of you may feel like you're swimming. And regardless of um, where you are on that spectrum, we want you to know that we are here for you. We love you, and we hope to serve you as best we can. And we, we do this not because of uh, what um, we want from you, but because of what we want for you. I'm just convicted and con convinced as your pastor and as your leader and as your shepherd that we in the kingdom of God um, should experience what God wants us to experience, specifically as it relates to our finances. And I want you to have financial freedom and success and um, I want you to practice and emulate what scripture has to say for us as it relates to our money. First text for today is this, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 2, a short little phrase that the Apostle Paul shares with the church in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul says this as we think about stewardship or this idea of management. He says this, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful that they be found faithful, that the steward is the manager. The steward is the person that's been given something to manage and to take care of. A few weeks ago, we shared that the resources that God has given us, we aren't owners of those resources. Rather, we are stewards. The scriptures would say that um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein and those who dwell therein which means everything that exists is uh, God owns. And therefore, what we have, what we possess, what has been given to us is stewardship. In God's grace, in God's sovereignty, in God's providence, he has chosen every single person in the room, every person that's watching online, he has chosen to put certain things into your hands. Some of you are like, I wish he would uh, allow me to have more things that would be um, in my hands. He's chosen for every single one of us to possess some sort of resources, some sort of things, and he's expecting for us to have, um, to be faithful, as the scriptures would say, to be faithful with what he has given us. And as we approach this topic, and as we think about managing and stewarding what God has given us, I want you to kind of feel today that we have unbelievable, yes, responsibility for the things that have been given to us, but I want you to feel today and see today that there is great opportunity, that there's unbelievable, unprecedented opportunity just in this room 
with the things that God has given us. Unbelievable resources, talents, gifts, uh, possessions, assets, all sorts of things that have great opportunity and will have great opportunity not only now, but even for decades to come. So let me, let me paint a picture for you for how you should think about like what, what you might have and what you might possess even over a lifetime. Um, so let's, 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 let me give a few scenarios for you. So imagine that you, in your adult working life, Let's say you worked 40 years. This is a theoretical scenario. And, and let's say that you would earn um, $25,000 a year average over the course of that 40-year time period. That would total to a million dollars over the course of 40 years of assets and resources that would pass through your hands. So let's bump it up a little bit. Let, let's say um, you worked for 40 years, and let's say the average of your income over those years was $50,000. If that was the case, $50,000 would equate to $2 million. That means over the course of your adult working life, $2 million would pass through your hands. Let's bump it up even further. Let's say you have $100,000 of an annual earned income over the course of adult working life. That would equate, obviously, $4 million. Let's bump it up even higher. Let's say $150,000. Man, you had a household income, and the Lord blessed you with $150,000 over the course of your working lifetime for 40 years would equate to $6 million that would pass through your hands that you would be responsible for. That's a lot of assets. That's a lot of resources. That's a lot of things that God would allow to, be, to go into your home and to be able to be used in a variety of different ways, hopefully for more than just Starbucks, um, but hopefully for things that are important in legacy building. Let's paint a little theoretical scenario as well of the bridge. We think about our body and our family and our church together. Um, we, we estimate that probably upwards of about 650 households call the bridge church home. It's hard to know exactly, specifically, but we think it's upwards of probably six, 700 or so. But let's just say conservatively that there were 500 households at the bridge. The median annual household income for New Hanover County, um, and there's a few different stats on this, anywhere from around $55,000 to $65,000 a year. But let's just use a one that I found, $61,898. And let's say that was theoretically the annual household income for those who call the bridge church home, and it's 500 households. That would mean a total of $30,949,000 annually each year would be assets that actually pass through the hands of people who call the Bridge Church home. That's a lot of assets, right? That's, that's a lot of assets. It's a significant amount of assets. Let's just say, let's just say theoretically as well, that of all those assets, just 10% were given toward to God, given to the church. 10% would equate to obviously right at 3 million, uh, $3.1 million, which would mean we would uh, have those resources to be able to do all sorts of different kinds of things in our church. You're like, well, how much is it actually, pastor? It's about half that. It's about 1.5 million is what we uh, have as a church as our annual budget to be able to do the things that God has called us um, to do. And you're like, well, pastor, should we be more? Should we be less? What should we be? I don't know exactly because this is a theoretical scenario. This is a theoretical scenario. But regardless, even if our numbers are a little bit off, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of assets. That's a lot of resources. It's an incredible amount of resources that we have at our disposal to use for all sorts of different kinds of things. Now, now let's say... 
Let's say that um, that was our annual number, which was about $30 million. And let's say we thought about this over the course of a generation. Let's say we thought about the Bridge Church and long-term, and let's say we're going to do this for 40 years. And for 40 years, let's say none of those numbers change. We, we don't grow, we don't shrink, we just stay the same theoretically uh, of, to paint a picture. Let's say for 40 years, that was our annual amount of resources that were given to people at the Bridge through work and through other things. That would equate to a total number of 1237960000 over the course of a few decades, 40 years. I want you to feel that when you, when you hear that number, I want you to feel one, two things. One is like great responsibility. Wow. We had a lot of responsibility for the things that God has given us. Great responsibility, but I also want you to, to feel great opportunity. That's a lot of opportunity, isn't it? That's, that's imagine, imagine the things that, that we could do. Imagine the things that we could build. Imagine the people that we could serve. Uh, imagine all the things that could be accomplished through that. So how we manage our money and what we do today is important uh, but because what we do today is, is going to manifest itself over the course of an entire lifetime. So what we do today is important and how we manage our resources are important for the way that we um, operate in faithfulness to God and what he has given. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to give you four purposes of money, the four biblical purposes of money. And I'm gonna walk you through all four of these with um, a number of different texts um, that, are, that are going to be um, a supplemental for, um, for each of these points. So, so what exactly is the purpose of money? Why, does, why did God even create money? Why do we have currency? Why do we even have resources like this? What is the purpose? What would scripture have to say about the purpose and the purposes for money? Here's number one. Number one is this. Number one is is giving. The first purpose of money, clearly and emphatically and dogmatically from the scriptures, the first purpose of money is the purpose of giving. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on number one than the other three, just because um, if you get this one right, all the others fall into place more easily. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 in the ESV, it says this, King Solomon says to his son, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. Somebody say first fruits. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So Solomon says the first thing that you're supposed to do with any resources, anything that God gives you, the first thing, the first fruits is make sure that you honor God with the first thing that comes in. I'd like to share with you as well in the NLT, the way that it says this in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best, somebody say best. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will be overflowing with good wine. This is the principle of the first fruits that we see all throughout the scriptures, which means the first fruits means the natural rhythm and the first inclination of my financial reality in my heart is that I'm going to immediately by default practice generosity with what God gives me. The principle of the first fruits is a reminder that every time I earn income and every time I get a paycheck, I don't own this money, but rather I steward this money. I'm going to make sure that I steward this money in a helpful way. I think that God instituted the principle of first fruits because there's a spiritual component 
It's a spiritual component because every time I'm receiving income, every, every time I'm receiving financial resources, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that my posture is I'm going to give to God. I'm going to give back to God. I'm going to think about my resources in a way that's honoring to God. I think there's a spiritual component. And then I also think that there's a practical component. The practical component is that if every person in the kingdom, if every person in the nation, if every household unit in the kingdom of God uh, functioned and operated in a way where they gave their first fruit back to God, then God's kingdom would be supplied with everything necessary for uh, the functioning of the kingdom. I do this with my girls. As you know, as you are aware, I've got three girls, ages 11, 9, and 7, and um, I have tried to do a fast track for them on the nature of a lot of things, discipleship, obviously, and spiritual things, but also a business. And so they started a business a couple years ago. It's called, um, they had to name it, they, titled, they named it Welch's Snack Bar. And so they... They set up shop on the street uh, during the summer on, on hot afternoons, and they set up a little tent, and they, uh, they, have, um, they sell sodas, and they sell uh, snacks and different things, and then they saved up their money, and they now have a snow cone maker, and so now they sell snow cones. So if in the summer on a hot, on a hot afternoon, if you're looking for a snow cone that would uh, support uh, Welch Nation, you can come down Carolina Avenue and... You can have a, a, a homemade uh, snow cone. Uh, whenever, whenever they go through their business practices and they, they've earned, I mean, some days it's pretty crazy. I mean, they'll make like 150 bucks in an afternoon. It's pretty awesome. And they'll get, they'll get their resources and they'll, they'll, all the money that they've made. And then I'm teaching them, here's what you have been given. So here, now we're going to need to make decisions on what we're going to do with this. Now, first of all, immediately we need to give. And, and I don't tell them how much they need to give. And I'm like, here's, it's like 150 bucks. How much do y'all think that you should give of this towards God? And they'll say, they'll say a variety of different things. And sometimes they're like, we're going to give God $100. I'm like, okay, that's, okay, that's, that's really sacrificial. Okay, let's, um, it's amazing, but let's, let's slow the truck down a little bit, okay? Um, uh, but they'll, they'll say 50 bucks and we need to $25 or, or, or and, 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 uh, but I'm teaching them, okay, what comes in? So we're, we're, we're going to first give to God and then you need to pay yourselves. How much are you going to pay yourselves? And they have to make a decision. We're going to give each other. They've essentially kind of done a scenario where they, they try to give upwards of 10 or 20% to God and then they pay each other 10% of the proceeds and they leave the remainder for their business. I'm trying to instill in them, even in a young age, uh, the principle of uh, first fruits. The principle of first fruits, which is everything that comes in, my first immediate reaction and inclination to the things that God has provided me, I'm going to be faithful with what he has given me, and I'm going to be a giver as my first step. I'm going to give to God. Here's, here's what we know about the kingdom of God as it relates to our giving. In the kingdom of God, giving comes first, not last. It comes first, not last. We give God our first, not our last. We give God our best, not our worst. We don't give God the leftovers, which means you've got to be intentional in the way that you structure your life, that you can, that you can give God at the beginning rather than at the end. And I love the story that Pastor Chris used last week at Jesus sitting in the temple and he watches the widow walk in and the widow even gives everything that she had to God and his kingdom, which means it's an easy way to demonstrate that everybody can be a giver. Everybody can be a giver. See, giving first and foremost is a financial, sorry, first and foremost is not a financial issue. 
Giving is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. It, it's, it's an issue that first has to be tackled in the heart. It has to be tackled in the heart. The person that's a giver has to make a decision, regardless of what their financial situation is, that I'm going to be a person who is a giver. And I'm going to obey God. I'm not going to bypass generosity and the blessings of generosity. I'm going to practice generosity. I even say this uh, often as well, that God's resources for God's kingdom reside in God's people. That's you and me. That, that, that's where the resources are. The re, there's not some kind of like kingdom tree that's out back, you know, that we get money off of that helps fund everything in here. No, the way that this is funded, the way that the kingdom of God is always funded, primarily funded, is through the people. It's through the people. And the people being generous with the resources that they have given, uh, that they have received and, and, and then given back to um, the Lord. And here's what you need to recognize is that not, not only is, is giving commanded through the principle of the first fruits, there's also tremendous reward and blessing through giving. Any of you that have ever made the step from uh, being uh, stingy perhaps or, or not ha having a heart of generosity or practice of generosity, then to giving and being generous have received the, the blessing and the reward uh, of this. When you become a giver, you have more, not less. That's the way that it works in the kingdom. I love what Proverbs eleven twenty four says. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And people curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. So the first decision that has to be made as it relates to our resources is that I'm going to be a giver. I just want somebody today, and, and even... Let's say you got to hang up with the bridge or you got an issue with the church or you got past church issue or whatnot. Give somewhere else, okay? Give somewhere else. Don't, don't let this be a hindrance. Well, the pastor's just talking about money because he needs money for the church. Okay, if that's an issue for you, give somewhere else. But make the decision today, make the decision, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a giver. Your spiritual formation will be the result of the spiritual decisions that you take in your life. Somebody today in this season needs to just make the decision, I'm going to be a giver. And you may not know exactly what that means and what that looks like, and you may not even know how much to give, and I actually can't tell you how much to give. It's a whole different sermon for a different day on the way that we should think about how much we should give to God and to his church. But I'm just... So I want to encourage someone today that if you have not been a giver, living a lifestyle of generosity to make a decision today, that I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a giver. So the first purpose, number one, the first purpose of money is giving. Number one is giving. We start with giving. Here's number two. Second purpose of money from the scriptures. Number two is this saving. Saving. Uh, not only am I going to be a, a giver, not only is the first interaction and the first inclination of my heart, I'm going to respond. My reaction is going to be giving. My second, number two, is going to be saving. It's going to be saving. I love what Proverbs 21.20 says. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Some translations say that the foolish man devours everything he has. 
A wise person, someone that's prudent, someone that's godly, that's wise, that does things according to the way that God instructs us to do. The person, they save for the future. They, they store and they don't spend everything that they get. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says this as well. Solomon says, go to the ant, O sluggard. He means take a, watch the ants. See the little guys on the ground? Look at them. See what they do. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Scriptures would say that you need to make sure of the resources that come into your life, that you use a portion of those resources to save, to save, that you don't spend everything that comes in, but that you save, that you've got a, a storehouse, that you've got a, 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 a bank. Um, one recent study that I read this past week said that 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 64% of Americans don't have any savings, actually probably have more consumer debt and are living paycheck to paycheck. And that was probably true of many of you who are in the room. And I don't say that to condemn anybody. I've been there myself. I know what that's like. But we're going to begin taking steps so that we are saving and we have a storehouse for the future. And when we do that, it actually honors God in the way that we uh, use our resources. So as money comes in, I'm saving for the rainy day. I'm going to begin to build a foundation that's firm, that's solid, because when the storm comes, when you lose your job, when your transmission breaks, when your roof begins to leak, when your dryer goes out, I've got resources, I've got a storehouse, I've got savings to be ready for those times that I cannot always predict. And the ant is smart because the ant understands that winter is coming. And for every single person in the room today, you need to understand that winter is coming for you. A season of financial hardship, a season of loss, a season where things break, a season where things happen that are unfortunate financially, and that is happening to every single person in the room. And if you aren't prepared for a winter, it will be hard for you to endure a harsh and a cold winter. So we, first of all, we think of our money and our resources, and, and we're going to be givers. So we're going to give first. That's number one. Number two is saving. We're going to save. We're going to make sure that the resources that come in, we're going to save and keep some to the side. Here's number three. Number three is this, investing. Number three is investing. The resources that God has given me, the things that he's placed in my hand, now I'm going to multiply those resources. I'm not just going to uh, give in, give those and, and, and save those, but I'm actually going to appropriate those resources in such a way that they multiply over time and that they grow over time. I love what Proverbs 13, 22 says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. So the wise person, the, the godly person, the person that takes steps to follow God, financially speaking, that person has a legacy mindset. They're not only thinking about their current situation and their current affairs, they've begun to think about their children and their grandchildren. They're setting up their financial structures in such a way that there is going to be an inheritance, not even just for their children, but also for their grandchildren, that they're going to have a generational impact. And for the kingdom of God, for those of us who are in the kingdom of God, we need to be thinking with a legacy mindset, with a generational mindset. 
not only just how can I get through this week and get through this month, but how can I make sure that I'm setting up future generations for success financially? I love what Dave Ramsey says. He says, if you're not thinking about the future, you won't have one. If you're not thinking about the future, if you're not preparing for the future, if you're not oriented to the future, you won't have one. And that's a biblical concept that we're thinking about the future and making sure that we're using our resources and allocating them in such a way that we are prepared for the future. Jesus would even say, one of his parables, Jesus would give a parable, a metaphor of of a steward, of, of actually an investor, and he would use this for a spiritual principle and other things, but this is, the, this is the parable that Jesus says, and it's about financial management. The talent here is a word for a financial term, and Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew 25, verse 20. He says, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. The metaphor is that five talents, five portions of, of finances were given to a steward, and he comes back and he brings five more. And the master, uh, and he says, master, you've delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. These are three stewards. The same happens with the second steward. He multiplies what has been given to him. And then we see this in verse 24. It says this, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus essentially uses this financial practice of investing and multiplying your resources, being a good steward of your resources as a way that you should think about being a good manager. And here's what we know about investing is this. When you spend money, it goes but when you invest money, it grows. When you spend money and just spend the things that come in, that that money goes away, you're never gonna see that money again. But when you invest money, that money actually grows over time. And the scriptures have a lot to say, even in the book of Proverbs, about the way that you should think about investing your money. And you need to make sure that you invest your money in wise ways and wise practices and that everyone shouldn't uh, be considered a recipient of your investment, but use healthy, wise practices in the way that you invest. And the scriptures would say that you, when you invest, you transition from being a borrower to becoming a lender. Scriptures would say, don't be a borrower. Don't be slave to the lender. Actually become the lender yourself. And many of us have a borrower mindset. We're borrowing and borrowing and in debt and in debt and in debt. A healthy financial steward, a wise financial steward, transitions from being a borrower to actually being a lender, the person that uses their resources for multiplying them in the future. So number one is giving. Number two is saving. Number three is investing. And then here's number four is living. The fourth purpose of money is 
living, to live, to, to live, to function, to, to be able to do what you need to do, to be able to provide for um, what's necessary for your, actually, your actual livelihood. Uh, Paul would say this in 1 Timothy 5, 8. He would say, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The principle here is that you should make sure that you take the necessary steps with your resources to provide for your household, for those who are within your care, and to use the resources that God has given you for the purpose of living so that you can live, so that you can do what's necessary for um, your lifestyle, and so that you should use your resources in that way. Notice the order of each of these. If you follow this order, and it's not easy, but if you set your life up in such a way, if you set your financial situation up in such a way that you practice the purposes of money in this order, it will benefit you in a transformative way, not only for you individually, but then also for the kingdom of God. So here's how, here's how I'd like to, to end today. I'd like to end in this way. If, if we've been given resources and if God expects us to manage those resources well, if we're expected to steward those resources well, then that means we have to have a plan. And the scriptures would say, if you don't have a plan when it comes to what, what God has given you, um, you will not succeed. If you don't have a plan, if you don't sit down and think about your resources, if you don't plan out your resources, then you're actually not going to end up in success. We all know the, the phrase, if you fail to plan, then you are planning to fail. And so scriptures would say a lot about planning. Here's, here's what, he, what scriptures would say in Proverbs 21.5 would say this, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Hard work, doing the hard work, sitting, sitting down at the desk, getting out the spreadsheet, pulling up Google Sheets, sitting down in front of the computer, working a plan, putting a plan in order, knowing where your resources are and where they are going. That kind of planning and that kind of hard work actually leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. You want to shortcut and bypass the process and not have a plan and not work hard at the plan. It's going to put you in a position of being impoverished. Proverbs 27.3 would say this, know the state of your flocks. This is an agricultural term. Know the state of your flocks, your herds of all the things, of all the resources that you have, and put your heart into caring for your herds. He says, put your heart into it. Like, like work hard at this. Like think about the things that you have been given for riches don't last forever. And the crown might not be passed to the next generation. So therefore, know the state of your flocks. Know the state of, of your affairs, your financial affairs. Of what This is, this is the commands of Scripture, what God expects for us to do with our finances. So know where your money is. Know where your money is. Know where it's going. Know, know, know what God has given you. And then make sure that you're allocating those funds, managing those funds, so that it's accomplishing the purposes that God would want you to accomplish. And I'll say this as well. Tell your money where to go, or it will tell you where to go. Tell your money where to go, or it will tell you where to go. We're, we're going to stop chasing our, our money and stop wondering where it went. You know, some of you, your budget is pull up, uh, pull up your app. Okay, how much is left in the account? That's not a budget. That's not a budget. A budget is I'm going to tell my money where to go. I'm, I'm going to allocate my funds so that they're accomplishing what they need to accomplish. And so I'm, I'm going to have a, a plan. And I'm going to think about my resources and make sure that they are planned in a way that is actually effective. Let me mention a, a financial 
allocation plan scenario for you. Yeah, we've got this. Let's just think about a theoretical plan. Um, you don't have to do this. This isn't, this isn't like in scriptures, but think about um, the resources that you have coming in and how you should allocate those resources. Let's just say theoretically that you had whatever comes in where a 10% is going to go out. 10% I'm going to give. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to take that money. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to give to the church. I'm going to give to God. I'm going to give to others. I'm going to make sure that I'm giving with the resources that are given. Let's say we took 10% and we saved. I'm going to save 10% of everything that comes in. As well, I'm going to invest 10% of everything that comes in. And guess what? The, the, big old, the big old government, guess what? They get a big chunk. They get a big fat chunk, don't they? 27% represents for the median household income. Roughly, the federal taxes are about 22%. State taxes are roughly 5%, which means 27%, the gov just takes right off uh, the top. And so with that being said, then I am left, if you add that all up and you get a calculator out, I've got 43% remaining uh, to live on. It's a different way of thinking about our, that's having a plan. That's having an, that's thinking about the allocation of our resources. Now, um, some of you will be like, well, um, that's impossible for me to do that scenario. Okay, that's fine. I can't tell you what you should do with your finances and what allocation and what percentage. But what could you do? How, how could you think? How could you have a good financial plan for your future and what God has given you? Let's, let's think about this. Let's just say that the, the median household income, let's, let's, let's think, look at this. Let's say that $61,898 number. And let's just say 10% of that uh, we allocated towards giving. That would be um, $6,189.80 a year, roughly $515 a month. You could see the same for saving. You could see the same for investing. You could see what the big government uh, gets, $16,712. And then you could see the remainder of what you have to live on, which would be $2,218 for the month to be able to live on things. You say, well, I could never, I could never do that, Pastor Ethan. Well, let's change the numbers a little bit. Let's just change the numbers and let's massage this a little bit and figure out a plan that would work. If we can't get there yet, let's begin to work on a plan where maybe we could get there in the future. So let's change the numbers. Well, let's say 5%. Let's say, well, I'm just going to try to do 5% giving, which is going to be about $3,100 a year and $257 a month, which would be the same for saving and investing. And guess what? The government number doesn't change. <laughs> doesn't matter how you feel about it. That number doesn't change. It is actually very discouraging to me that we give so much to the kingdom of this world and not to the kingdom of God. I don't know how we could like figure out a way to resolve that somehow, but I want to be at a position in my life at some point in the future where I give more to the kingdom of God even than the kingdom of this world. If you got some tax evasion strategies that you could help me with later after this, I'm all ears. Um, but let's just say uh, we're going to change this up a little bit. And so Maybe I can't do quite those, so, so I'm, maybe I'll do 5% and 5% and 5% then the government, and then that will, will give me 58% remaining, and that's going to be roughly $36,000 a year and about $3,000 a month to think about living on. The, here's, here's what I encourage you to do. What the scriptures would want you to do is have a financial plan. Have a financial plan and think about your resources in such a way that you're using your resources for the furtherance of God's kingdom. I started the sermon with the concept of trust, and here's how I would like to end. I told you a few months ago that um, my youngest daughter, Claire, teaching her how to ride the bike has become kind of a saga in the Welch household. 
Uh, she's been the hardest of the three to try to teach how to ride the bike, and um, she recently just requested for Christmas that she's going to get a new bike. By God's grace, we've made significant, I'm, I'm glad to update you that we've made significant progress in the last six months on her bicycle saga, and she is doing uh, much better, and she is now trusting me with the whole process. If I remember at the beginning, I, t- I told you um, that at the beginning, uh, she would get on her bike, and she would just be sitting still, and I'd be holding the handlebar, and she is freaked out of her mind. She's freaked out of her mind because she, she thinks that she's going to fall, she's going to hurt herself, and something bad is going to happen. And that is a possibility. What hurt most of all is I'm standing there right beside her as, as her dad, holding the handlebars, saying, I got this. I got you. Just, I'm with you. All right. And you're going to go forward. And guess what? I'm going to begin to jog with you. And then if you go faster, I'm going to begin to run with you. And I'm going to hold on the entire way until you stop as I teach you and train you how to do this process. I was deeply offended that she did not trust me to the degree (laughs) that I wanted her to trust me. In a similar fashion, I would like to ask you today, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Do you trust his ways? Do you trust his principles? Do you trust his will? Do you trust his heart? Do you trust his plans? Do you trust his purposes? Do you trust his promises for your life? You could potentially say that the whole money series is just a convenient way to get to your heart and to to determine whether or not you actually trust God. I want you to know today that you've got a God, you've got a Father who's right beside you. He's holding the handlebar, his hand is on the back of your seat, and he's holding you along the way, along every step. And here's what we know about trust. Do you know what the evidence of trust is? The evidence of trust is obedience. This whole series isn't about what we want from you. It's about what we want for you. I'd like to end with the words of Jesus. Imagine he would say this to you over a cup of coffee. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying what will we eat what will we drink what will we wear these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs seek the kingdom of God above all else live righteously and he will give you everything you need 
Would you bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, I hope that you maybe receive some practical tools today, maybe receive some good financial wisdom from the scriptures, and hope the series has been helpful for you and your journey wherever you are financially. But most of all, I just want to ask you if you trust God today. Do you actually trust him? Do you, do you, actually, do you actually believe that he's going to take care of you? Do you actually believe that if you obey him, that you'll actually be receive the reward of obedience? Or are you kind of on the line? Are you kind of on the edge? Are you kind of looking over the edge, not sure if you should actually jump, not sure if he's actually worthy to be trusted? Today, I would like to encourage you to take the leap, to take the step, to jump off and to let him catch you. That's what trust is. It's putting your life in his hands. Perhaps today, this is kind of an interesting day and sermon on money, but perhaps today you're at a place where you actually need to surrender to God with your life, actually trust him with your life. Maybe you're here today and the reason that God brought you here today is because uh, you need to have a changed relationship with him, a life that's surrendered to him and submission to him. If that's you, I'd like to encourage you to make that decision today. Even in your seat right now, you could, you could even offer a prayer to God, something like this. It would say, God, today I surrender my life to you. God, today I submit my life to you. I trust what Christ has done for me. His life, his death, his resurrection, his forgiveness for my sins. And today I receive salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.